I'm Jonathan Capehart, and this is Cape Up. Benjamin Crump, an attorney for the family of Ahmad Arbery, is perfectly clear on his view of what happened to the 25-year-old black man jogging near his Georgia home on February 23rd. They chased him through that community until they caught up with him, and then they executed him like a modern-day lynching. If Crump's name sounds familiar, it's because he was the lawyer for the family of Trayvon Martin, the 17-year-old shot and killed by a neighborhood watch volunteer in Florida on February 26, 2012. Listen to Crump talk about the eerie similarities between the February 2020 killing of Ahmad Arbery and the February 2012 killing of Trayvon Martin right now. Attorney Benjamin Crump, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And thank you for having me, Jonathan, and thank you for covering this very important story. So you and I got to know each other about eight years ago because of the the killing of Trayvon Martin and the similarities between the killing of Trayvon Martin and the killing of Ahmad Arbery are really, it's kind of eerie. Um, could you bring us up to up to speed on on the facts of the case as uh, as we talk right now? Certainly, uh, and then I'll tell you how eerily similar those facts are between Trayvon and Ahmad Aubrey. That'd be great. Tragically, Ahmad Aubrey was chased by a murderous duo, a father and son duo, Gregory and Travis McMichaels and another young man named uh, William Bryan, who has yet to be arrested as of this day. He is alleged to be the individual who was driving the other vehicle who ambushed Ahmad and was taking the video recording of this execution. You know, it it goes without saying, Ahmad had a T-shirt, jogging shorts, and jogging shoes on. And he was a person who would jog routinely. He liked to stay in shape as many people. Uh, He was jogging through that Satina Shores neighborhood. And for whatever reasons, we believe we know why they did it, but they suspected him of a burglary. And they jumped into their pickup truck with a shotgun, Jonathan, and a three fifty seven Magnum. And they chased him through that community until they caught up with him. And then they executed him like a modern day lynching. And we see it on that video. And it's just so tragic. Uh, And once you see that video, you can't unsee it. And that's what happens. We watched the execution of this young unarmed black man killed, we believe, because he was racially profiled, and the police show up, and they take the words of the killers, apparently, because the killers are allowed to go home and sleep in their bed at night, while Ahmaud Albury is taken to the morgue. You know, um, there are so many things here um, in, in the um, the facts of the case that you just spelled out, um, and I just want to... There is the, the the police report as it was filed um, in the, the the moments after after the shooting after the killing, 
where it says the witnesses said that um, Arbery uh, looked like a suspect who had been uh, breaking into that particular house and that um, they saw him, quote unquote, hauling ass down the street. And when you look at the video, um, and I want to talk about how we got this video to begin with, but when you look at the video, he's not hauling ass. Yeah, he's jogging. He's doing what most people in America do. He is simply exercising. And you know, when you really put it in context, they come up with some unbelievable reasons to kill us, Jonathan. You think about uh, walking while black, driving while black, uh, Botham Jones in his apartment living while black, uh, Trayvon Martin walking home while black. I mean, it's so many things. Uh, Atiana Jefferson sitting in her house living while black, and now we come to Ahmaud Albury, and he's just jogging while black, and they suspect and kill him for that. All right, let's talk about the McMichaels. Travis McMichael um, is the person who had the shotgun um, and fired the shots that killed Ahmad Arbery. And George McMichael is the father who is standing in the back of the pickup truck with a 357 Magnum. Uh, talk about why Gregory McMichael in particular is problematic in this case. Certainly, we believe that the police did not arrest this murderous father and son duo because Gregory McMichael was a former police officer and had a 30-year uh, employment with as a detective, as a DA, with the local district attorney in Glenn County. So we believe they did not want to arrest their friend, their colleague, and so that is one reason we suspect, Jonathan, that they didn't arrest him. The other reason is even more heinous. We believe because Aubrey was a young African-American that the police simply took the word of his white killers that he was up to no good, that he was committing a burglary without doing any kind of appropriate investigation, apparently, because, you know, if he was a burglar, where's the burglar's mask? Where's the burglar's tools? Where's the burglar's bags? You know, where's the incident of allegations of burglaries in this neighborhood in the past since they suspected he had committed burglaries before? Uh, or is it simply they knew that he wasn't a burglar, but it didn't matter because they had made a decision that they were not going to arrest their friends who happened to be white men for killing this unarmed young black man. And how many how many people had to recuse themselves from this case? So the district attorney, district attorneys, I think three. We're on the third one right now. We're on the third district attorney right now. The first district attorney, Jackie Johnson. Uh, had to recuse herself for alleged conflicts of interest. And there's also a big controversy brewing because even when police said, well, maybe we need to file charges, 
it has been alleged that she told them not to file charges. Now, she disputes this claim, but that issue should be investigated as well. Furthermore, uh, Barnhart uh, and Waycross, Georgia, district attorney there, also had to recuse himself for alleged conflicts. However, Jonathan, this district attorney, Barnhart, saw fit to write a memorandum of law, uh, uh, write a memorandum from his perspective that there was no criminal activity that took place and that the killing of Ahmaud Albury by uh, Greg and Travis McMichaels was justified. And we think that is completely inappropriate. If he had a conflict of interest, then he should abide by the rules and canons of ethics and not try to put his thumb on the scales of justice to try to make it in favor of his friends and colleagues who he has a conflict of interest from sitting in judgment of. Now, um, you, you've been mentioning um, the, the name of Barnhart. His, his name is Barnhill. Um, George Barnhill. But here's the thing. The New York Times in its story uh, about this about this uh, killing has this paragraph. And I want you to respond to this. It says in an email, Mr. Barnhill wrote to the state attorney general's office on April 7th. uh, He asked to be taken off the case, stating that his son, an assistant district attorney in the Brunswick prosecutor's office, had handled a felony probation revocation case involving Mr. Arbery. He also said Gregory McMichael had helped with a, quote, previous prosecution of Arbery. Court records show that Mr. Arbery was convicted of shoplifting and and of violating probation in 2018. According to local news reports, he was indicted five years earlier for taking a handgun to a basketball game. So I have two questions. First... Do you contend that the relationships between Mr. Barnhill and Mr. McMichael play mightily in their being able, he and his son being able to stay out of jail for 74 days? Absolutely. I think it was, you know, the good old boy network that was working against the interests of justice for the dead young black man and working for the benefit of these white men who had uh, previous employment with uh, law enforcement and were colleagues. And so absolutely, this is what helped them to remain free, sleeping in their own beds at night for 74 days while Ahmaud Arbery was dead in the ground. Mm -hmm. Now, the second question is, and what's in that paragraph from the New York Times story that I read, are um, um, Mr. Arbery's involvement in the criminal justice system, and can you talk to the the previous the previous prosecution, the the um, being convicted of shoplifting, violation of probation, the um, being indicted for taking a handgun to a basketball game? What do you say to people who read those those things from Mr. Arbery's? Arbery's past, and that gives them pause. Well, it's just they're trying to assassinate his character after they have assassinated him. So if they try to find ways to say, if our children were absolutely perfect, 
then it is justified for these uh, murderers to walk free from killing them. And that can't be the case because, you know, if the shoe was on the other foot and you had Ahmaud Aubrey and his father, Marcus Aubrey Sr., get in a pickup truck and chase unarmed young white man jogging in the community, that white man can have the most checkered past in the world. But we know one thing for certain, that they would have been arrested and they would have went to jail that night. So why do we have two justice systems in America? One for black America and one for white America. It isn't fair. It isn't right. And unfortunately, this is why Ahmaud Aubrey's family had to turn to the public to get uh, the wheels of justice turning because the local Southeast Georgia law enforcement agencies and officials were never going to arrest these murderers. In the eyes of the law, does Mr. Arbery's past, what we've been talking about in terms of his involvement with, with law enforcement, does that even matter given the facts of the case that we've seen so far? Absolutely not. It, it, these are very minor offenses that should never even be... It's just, it's just asinine. It is so irrelevant what they are trying to say. We have to make sure that we don't allow them to assassinate his character. Talk to me about William Bryan, the person who whose cell phone video we were all able to see. Who is he and how how is it possible that law enforcement had this video but didn't release it themselves? They've had it for 74 days. So so let me be clear about this, Jonathan. The reason they arrested this murderous duo, uh, this father and son who executed Aubrey, uh, unarmed Amon Aubrey, is not because they saw the video. It's because we, the people, saw the video. And when we saw that video, we could not unsee it. And we became outraged. And there was a public outcry. And that is the only reason they arrested these murderers. Uh, William Bryan, the person who allegedly videoed uh, this execution, was driving in the other vehicle that we see there in the video. And he was the individual who was helping to ambush Ahmad Aubrey as he tried to escape. He was running away from them as they chased him in the pickup truck with a shotgun and a three fifty seven Magnum. Um, the last question, because I know you, you have to go, and I really appreciate you squeezing me into a very packed, very packed day. As we said at the outset of this interview, you and I got to know each other as a result of the killing of Trayvon Martin and the similarities between the killing of Trayvon Martin and the killing of Am- Ahmed uh, Arbery are just, they're chilling. Talk about those. Certainly. Um, it's eerie. In every way, uh, the killing of Trayvon Martin and Abba is chilling in every way, the killing of Trayvon Martin and Ahmad Aubrey. When you think about the fact that both of them were killed in the month of February, um, Trayvon on February 26, 2012, and Ahmad on February 23, 2020, the fact that both of them would have been 26 years old this year had they 
still been living. The fact that uh, both of them were accused of murdering, even though there was no evidence to support anything of the sort. Uh, the fact that both of their killers had guns, uh, yet they were unarmed, and both of their killers are advancing some type of self-defense stand-your-ground argument. Uh, the fact that both of their killers, Trayvon Martin, Keller got to go home and sleep in his bed at night after he shot and killed him in that gated community in Sanford, Florida, alleging some type of uh, burglary allegation. And then in Ahmaud Aubrey, his killer shot and killed him, and they got to go home and sleep in their beds at night after advancing some kind of allegation about burglary in the Satina Shores community in Brunswick, Georgia. The fact that both the prosecutors in the cases in Sanford, Florida, the local prosecutor recused them himself because of some alleged uh, conflict of interest. Then in Brunswick, Georgia, the pro local prosecutor recused herself because of some alleged conflict of interest. And then when you think about the fact that both of these individuals uh, in, were killed by people who had quasi-law enforcement relationships, uh, Trayvon's killer was the self-appointed neighborhood watch volunteer whose father was a magistrate judge. And then you had uh, Greg McMichaels, who was a former police officer and detective for the district attorney's office. And so he was retired, but you have those relationships. And then it took weeks for them to arrest the killer in Trayvon Martin until uh, we had great public outcry. And it took weeks in Ahmaud Aubrey before they arrested his killers, and we had to have great public outcry. In Trayvon Martin, you had to get the state police involved with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement before you got an arrest. In Ahmaud Aubrey, you had to get the state police involved with the Georgia Bureau investigations before we had an arrest. And then you look, and this is the final thing, you have evidence of a pursuit objective evidence of a pursuit in both cases. With Trayvon, you have audio evidence. We hear the chase and you hear the shot that kills Trayvon. Well, the big difference in Ahmaud Aubrey, we get to physically see the pursuit with our eyes and that horrific video where they chase him and then they kill him with that shotgun being pumped. And so that is the big difference in these cases. We now have ocular proof of what took place in the killing of Ahmad Aubrey, and it is reminiscent of what we would have imagined happened in the 1920s, but this is 2020, and we're seeing it happen in America. And it reminds you of those lynch mobs that when they kill black people back in yesteryears, there would be no accountability, and they would go home and sleep in their beds at night. And for 74 days, that is exactly what we had in America in 2020. Attorney Benjamin Crump, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. Keep doing the good work you do, brother. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. 
And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover. From global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com.